0: Hey everyone. Welcome to today's episode brought to you by Rad Roller. Today we are talking about the importance of self-care and making sure that your cup is full even when you are the one in the caretaker seat. So I can think of no better sponsor than Rad Roller. All of their fabulous products are there to take care of you for prehab or rehab or just a little gentle relaxation and stress relief at home. And now you can get 20% off your first order by using our special promotional code, code, HEALING20. See the link in the show notes for more information and enjoy the following episode with Rhonda Bolliglin. Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC. And i have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management if you've been listening and like what you're hearing head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message enjoy today's episode welcome to another episode of the healing ground movement podcast i'm your host dr carly hudson joining us today via zoom from far away fort collins here in colorado um, is a a dear friend of mine uh, Rhonda village lampo Um, Rhonda is a speaker, health and lifestyle coach, and an author. author. Um, She offers insight into how to be ready when life throws you a major curve. She empowers you in life and business on how to be proactive with your health, how to prevent costly costly mistakes as much as possible, and how to protect your assets and hard work. Her clients discover how to maneuver through the detours and how to put themselves and their, their health first. Um, audience particip- participants are encouraged to prioritize their own next step. Um, Rhonda is the author of this fantastic book God Winks, um, a nice easily digestible book about detours in life. She's going to share with us today her story um, through her husband's health detour and most importantly how she was able to start to take care of herself and prioritize her own health because I think um, Historically, and particularly in the grand detour that is uh, the year 2020, it's really easy for us to um, forget about self-care when there are so many other people and and issues that we need to be focusing on, so many fires to um, to put out. So thank you for joining us today, Rhonda.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Wonderful. Well, we always like to get to know our patients with a little bit of an interesting, or patients, well, I have patient care later this afternoon, so I'm already in doctor (laughs) mode. Um, come back to podcast mode. Um, get to know our guests with um, with a little getting to know you question. Uh, when was movement first fun for you?
1: You know, I would even say way back in high school, I played volleyball. I loved volleyball, um, and that's and I just focused on the one sport. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I at the same time, I grew up very close to a lake, so I got to do some water skiing and some swimming, and all of that as well. So. Um, yeah. If I had an opportunity to play volleyball uh, to this day, I think I would. I'm, I'm a huge advocate.
0: What made volleyball so much fun for you?
1: I was good at it. <laughs> 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 um, it's one of those things, um, you know, when you get challenged going from JV to varsity, you know, they're like, oh, I was serving um, sidearm mm-hmm. and I had a killer sidearm serve. And they're like, well, you can't move to varsity unless you serve overhand. So I spent an entire summer going to volleyball camps, learning how to serve overhand. And so I ended up with a killer overhand too.
0: (laughs) So having that place to excel and succeed and (laughs) and demonstrate process, I love it. (laughs) Yes. I honestly, I mean, if I'm being really vulnerable and transparent here, I think that's where I struggled so long for movement to become fun for me because I've had so many movement disorders in my life that I wasn't good at it. And so I really would get to that point of frustration. like, Oh, come on. (laughs) but i, yeah. I see that desire to kick butt
1: <laughs> well for me i just decided to focus on one sport you know mm-hmm. in high school i i grew up in a small high school so everybody played every sport and i'm like no i didn't want to do that i just mm-hmm. wanted to enjoy the swimming in the summer and the volleyball in the fall and that was
0: it awesome well very cool so as as we have you here um we teased a little bit in your introduction the the, the big story that we're hoping to hear from you today is about um, this incredible journey you took with your husband Steve, um, and gosh, was that four years ago now? Five years ago, he was diagnosed. Yeah, Can you yeah. give us give us a, a quick dive in.
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I'll give you kind of the 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 quick overview of how it happened. My husband's retired Air Force, and on um, Veterans Day in 2015, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was um, benign. It was considered a uh, an acoustic neuroma
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so they figured it had been growing for about 15 years and the joke between he and I is is that since we basically met he started growing a brain tumor <laughs> but um the day I actually found out I was uh, it was his it was veterans day and I was working uh in a corporate position at the time and I came home and I was joking with him I'm like so how did the doctor's appointment go um, and he goes, well, I've got a brain tumor and talking about changing the energy and the mm-hmm. mood, uh, on a dime, you know, I in a, in a New like York.
0: air being sucked out of the room.
1: Yes. I, you know, I'm like, what? And then I, I got to look at the MRI. I got to see everything. And that began our journey mm-hmm. of, um, really figuring out how my husband was going to address this. We knew instantly because, um, the, the neuroma was uh, uh, affecting his brainstem. So it was already life-threatening. And so there was no question he was going to have to have surgery. So that began his process of just kind of figuring out who his surgical team was going to be. Mm-hmm. So um, since we're talking about self-care, self-care and everything today, make sure that you get a second and third opinion if you don't mm-hmm. have that gut intuition that things are right with your surgeon. The first surgeon he felt was very, very capable of doing it, but it just wasn't that gut instinct, that gut feel that this is it. Mm-hmm. So he did some more digging and found a surgical team. Um, so it required an ENT whose 30-year specialty happened to be acoustic neuromas. And then he teams up with a neurosurgeon whose you know 20-year specialty is base of the skull specialty. So brainstem. Yeah. And so having, since they both uh, work for a teaching hospital, it was four months before Steve's first surgery happened. They were traveling around the world. They were teaching. And so it took four months before he got in and had the surgery scheduled. And you would think, you know, we had four years to, or not four years, four months to dot all our I's and cross all our T's and and we didn't. And you know, I would venture to say a lot of people don't have all of that taken care of. But um, and I'll I'll share a little bit more about that. But he, you know, his first surgery, we knew that there could be some possible complications. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a six hour surgery. At six hours, they came out and said, We've lost his facial nerve. Okay. And and so when I thought he would be coming out of surgery. They were like, we're going to have to take the nerve out of his foot and transplant
0: it in his head.
1: So he ended up with a, with a nerve um, getting super
0: glued to his brain stem. <laughs> and for anyone who isn't familiar, that facial nerve is the nerve that, that gives us sensation for our cheeks, for our mouth, that controls the muscular control of you know, the whole half of our face, chewing our eye movements, all of that. A really important nerve. Um, how yeah. cool super glue that out of your foot. Yes.
1: So, you know, they're like, we're going to give it a try. We're going to, you know, close him up, cross our fingers and see how that nerve regenerates. Mm -hmm. It could not regenerate at all. It could regenerate completely or partial regeneration. So that was, you know, kind of what I would say the first complication that we, we experienced from Mm -hmm. his surgery. And so it was another six hours and then, so it turned into a 12 hour surgery and then he, he was out. Um, th- three days in um, neuro ICU and a, a day and a half teaching him how to eat and swallow safely and correctly before mm-hmm. they discharged him from the hospital. And so, about four or five days later, he was home, and we were kind of on our way to basically a six-week recovery. We figured at that point in time. I love it. Yeah, yeah, and, and we were, we were like three to six weeks. And I'm like, okay, with the complications, we better plan on six weeks.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I like what you're already working in here is you know, when you're talking about getting that second opinion, making sure that you're as comfortable as can be when it comes to your healthcare team. And of course, depending on where we are in the country and what our resources are and insurance and everything, our hands may be more tied than others, but Mm -hmm. knowing that that first step of patient advocacy is always the piece that makes us that little bit more comfortable in a situation that is largely out of our control. Right. Just knowing that you've asked the questions that you can and, and asked for any resources within your grasp. Um, and then already within your story, there's there's another detour within the detour. Um, and oh. and yet yet the story is not done. <laughs> Yeah,
1: the, the number one thing I would always say is that advocate. So Steve advocated mm-hmm. for himself to find the right surgical team. I advocated for him during his complications. And then I had to advocate for myself. Mm. Um, you know, when he was in recovery, I, you know, I had to go through um some ptsd and some other stress and anxiety that happened because of the situation mm-hmm. and so yeah you know it's it's like advocate you know you are your own best expert mm-hmm. on your on your body mind
0: and soul right yeah well and i'd love to talk more i mean we'll, we'll kind of go piecemeal through the story mm-hmm. here but you know the real focus that i think um get swept under the rug when someone is going through a traumatic experience. You know, in 2020 here we have the COVID pandemic and those are, that's a traumatic experience for everybody, but everyone else's health concerns still didn't get canceled. <laughs> There's still, you know, um, cancer treatments going on or birth complications or, you know, any number of awful things that you wouldn't want to experience. And there are caretakers within those situations within families. And your own personal experience while you weren't the one under anesthetic and the knife and surgery, your husband, your partner was still undergoing a huge complication and you have your own personal experience and trauma within it. And that is valid. And I know that's something you speak to often.
1: Yeah, it's very definitely valid because you know there's the old adage that um, you know, you you give all your energy and effort, knowledge time, energy, whatever, to the person you're caring for. And then when you have a chance to kind of take a breath, sometimes your health falls apart. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what happened to me. You know, um, fortunately, I was more on the proactive prevention side of things. I knew immediately that things were going on, but not everybody does. And anybody who might have extended care, um, I had really intense care for Steve for like six months, but then really it, it lasted for the first year, mm-hmm. and and then and then it and I I don't want to say that my health fell apart, but I definitely um, had some issues come up that were stress and anxiety related. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that we can focus our energy and focus our effort to take care of anyone in a crisis situation, anything in a crisis situation. We are meant to pivot and pull ourselves together. And then our body has built-in mechanisms, particularly when we talk about that preventative care, which we'll touch on, um, to help regulate and bring ourselves back to normal. The problem becomes when that care situation becomes somewhat chronic. Um, and as we'll find out, Steve's situation did not resolve um, yeah. just in those couple of weeks. There were more curveballs thrown. And you know, um, our, our acute situation of panic here in 2020 did not resolve in two weeks. We are still in that chronic phase. And our body gets into systems of stress and anxiety in that prolonged state that do need attention in the long run. Mm-hmm. So, so back to your story with Steve, what happened over those, those six weeks and, and what came next?
1: So we were home mm-hmm. carrying on with life dealing with, um, he looked like he had a very severe stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, most people thought he did. And so we were dealing with that. As you had mentioned, his ability to blink his eye was affected. His mm-hmm. ability to swallow and eat correctly was affected. And so that's what we were dealing with. And so we were kind of carrying on. We had therapists coming to the house. And Steve loves to go to the um, car and auto show every year. So we did that. You mm-hmm. know, he, he, Losing your facial nerve um, also took away his balance and equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And so it was funny cause we were kind of navigating the crowd. He was, he was just holding on to me, you know, and I was kind of, you know, we went for a couple of hours versus multiple, multiple hours. And that evening, you know, life was good. He was super happy to have done that. Um, and then we were home and I had taken a picture of him sticking his tongue out at me. I'm like, how are you feeling today? And he's like, he, he just stuck his tongue out at me and I took a picture of him and, um, two hours later our lives changed dramatically he was complaining of a headache that wouldn't go away we knew that headaches could be a side effect of this um and he had been keeping track of the medications so he had been sent home with um, oxycodone and Mm -hmm. you know they warned you know don't take it too often, all that. He was keeping track of it. Well, when I looked at his paperwork and his documentation of what he had been taking, he had take some, taken oxycodone twice in an hour and mm-hmm. it wasn't touching his headache. Oh, wow. So I knew immediately something was wrong. And of course, any, when you're discharged, they're like, if anything goes wrong, go to the closest emergency room. Mm-hmm. So we loaded up and went to the closest emergency room. And that's the last thing Steve remembers for six weeks. And um, so I took him to the closest emergency room. Um, hindsight being 2020, I should have taken him back to uh, the hospital where he had his surgery done. 12 hours later, I was able to get him back over there and they were able to like jump on his case. They mm-hmm. had no idea what was going on. They did um, a spinal tap and started administering general antibiotics because they're like, we have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then they they were they were just starting to test and draw blood to see what was going on. Um it was March in Colorado and horrific blizzards happen in the springtime here. Yeah. And I have I happened to be in the hospital waiting room and um looking out the window and there was a snowstorm going on. I couldn't even see the building next door, and my phone rang. And it was Neuro ICU doctor asking for my consent for emergency surgery and um i'm like you know i'm just down the hallway i will be right there so um I, as i walked to his room more like ran mm-hmm. um i observed seven medical professionals in his room and i'm, I'm like uh oh it's mm-hmm. really serious and it's really dire so the doctor in charge of getting my consent shared with me that he was going into emergency surgery Um, he, Steve, so in in intracranial pressure, ICP for the average person is like four, five, six, you and I, they wanted Steve below 20 and he was off the charts at 55. Oh my gosh. So in an hour and a half, they had observed him, um, what they call blowing a pupil. So his his pupil just went completely black. Mm -hmm. Um, behind the eye in that intracranial. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the first time his body was able to manage it, the second time the, uh, they had to use medication to manage it, the third time they couldn't get it under control at all. And mm-hmm. so that's how um, I learned at that time. That's how they know if you are brain alive or brain dead, oh. they watch your eye movement and your activity mm-hmm. in your eyes. Yeah. And obviously, he was alive, but having some serious issues going on. So into emergency surgery, he went for another three-hour surgery. And um, that was when the first angel, I would say, dropped into our lives. She was a neurosurgeon. I had never seen her before, and I felt like I knew all of the neuro docs there. And um, she spent three hours taking care of Steve. Um, she, She opened up his the backside of his skull and neck and accessed his brain from that direction which was smart because they didn't want to touch the you know transplanted nerve from Mm -hmm. the other incision behind his ear and um she discovered uh, bacterial meningitis laying Mm -hmm. on his brain looking like an orange ring oh my gosh And um, so she she said, we, we got it, we got it all. And I said, well, how do you know? And she goes, because I could see it. It looked like an orange line,
0: And to have it be that visual, I, that Mm -hmm. was, I I will share a little, this is where my heart goes, I I just feel such a connection with Steve and Rhonda's story um, that Steve had the same bacterial infection that I did when I was an infant, that Mm atrium meningitis, um, the survival rate for that is not historically great. Um, And to have it as. Um, visible as an orange ring on the brain, and that she was able to go in and clear it and have that emergency surgery is just such a, a blessing to me every time you tell me i just I, it makes me want to well up with tears again it
1: 's a God wink,
0: carly yeah. yeah.
1: it 's a godwink because because it was that visible she mm-hmm. she was hundred percent certain she got she was able to get it out of there. Mm-hmm. They washed his brain three times with antibiotics and sewed him back up crossed their fingers again she 's like i don 't know what this is going to do, how this is going to look. And, um, you know, talking about the percentage of people recovering, mm-hmm. Steve was given a 2% chance of recovering. Yeah. And it wasn't just everybody. Most people have heard of bacterial meningitis mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh no, that's horrible. Not that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm like, that was the least of their concerns because mm-hmm. he ended up with ventriculitis and hydrocephalus on the brain as well. Oh my gosh. And that's what gave him, I call it the trifecta. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they had never seen that situation before. 14 neurosurgeons had never seen that combination before. And that, that's why they gave him a 2% chance of surviving. They're just like, mm-hmm. you know, we feel like we can get the bacterial meningitis under control, but we're not sure how these other two things are going to affect him. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up being in a, in a coma for 32
0: days. Oh my gosh. And all this while, how are you doing? So
1: that's a very good question, because you, when your loved one is in a coma, you don't know if they're going to come out, mm-hmm. how they're going to come out of it, and how that's going to affect your life. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I have known each other a long time, and you would probably say I'm a pretty positive person. Oh, upbeat as all get out. <laughs> My positivity kicked in mm-hmm. big time. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had a negative thought that he wouldn't make it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know how he would make it. Mm-hmm. And so I kicked into gear of starting to take care. Obviously, I had to make decisions for him. I gave 21 consents for his medical care over the next 32 days. That's mm-hmm. a lot of medical procedures yeah. uh, for, for them to protect his heart, for him. I mean, everything going on. Um, and I was able to scale back at work if people can. Um, I, I suggest that it was actually Steve's director of HR who said, you need to go on FMLA as well. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, why it's Steve. And she's like, no, you need to protect your work, your Mm -hmm. job. And, and so I scaled back and worked half days. So Mm -hmm. my, my routine, I got very, um, I, I say, I call it compartmentalized my life. I um, went to work for a half day. I then drove to the hospital. I spent about six hours with Steve. I then went home. I made sure I was eating well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made sure I was getting sleep. As you can imagine, the stress kind of knocks you out. Yep. I'd be asleep by nine, 9.30 at night, waking up at 5.30, six o'clock the next morning, calling his overnight nurse to see how he made, how he made it through the night. And that was my routine um, nonstop for four months.
0: And here we see um, all of that preventative care that you talked about at the beginning and and how you're really putting it on yourself. And I like that you talked about making it a routine, just making it part of the givens because even having a routine in a time of stress um, and and chronic stress and, and trauma um, that's one less thing for our brain, for our frontal lobe to have to tangle with. You know when your bedtime is, you got your food, and even reaching out and taking that FMLA, the family medical leave, um, which I think a lot of people don't realize is a resource. It's, it's been kind of uh, morphed a little bit this year, but there's still a resource yeah. there. Um, to then not have money be something that has to be on your concern list too. You took all of the variable concerns you could control and made it part of a routine to care for yourself. And that's just, you know, a brilliant, seemingly small, but absolutely huge piece that takes care of you and takes care of him in the long run. Yes. And I kept a running to-do
1: list Mm -hmm. because the doctors will say, oh, and when, when he's doing better, if he's doing better, do this, do that. I had a running to-do list Mm -hmm. of of just things that needed to be addressed at some point or another mm-hmm. and for me i always call it brain dumping yeah um, when i get overwhelmed and stressed i put everything down on paper mm-hmm. i don't try and remember it i just make sure i have access to that list and and i'm like okay you know if this happens this is the next good it was kind of like a flow chart right, right. It's like if this happens go here if that happens go there you know mm-hmm. it's like um yeah. And I compartmentalized my life for, mm-hmm. for four months. A lot of people were kind of in awe about how I was handling it. And for me, it was just my life mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was one day where I had to get signed three consents for Steve in one single day. That was kind of a rough day. Mm-hmm. I happened to have several girlfriends around um, that day who took me out to lunch and, and, that was, I, it's funny how you remember things so clearly. It was a Saturday. I'd spent a few hours with Steve in the morning, then was taking care of some, some things I needed to do. Girlfriend said, let's take you to lunch. I went to lunch with them for a couple of hours, and then I went right back to the hospital. And um, some people will say, you did what? But I even got massages and mm-hmm. chiropractic care with you yep. during this time. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I knew, you know, um, (laughs) staying Mm -hmm. in a hospital, having the situation and the routine as it was, you know, you just,
0: you just have to bring in other people who can help you. Yeah. It's, it's that community and that teamwork. And, um, and so often, I mean, like when you say, well, you you did what that, um, what, what do you say to, I mean, the (laughs) well-meaning Um, accusations of selfishness, and I think it mostly comes from people who um, who would be so uncertain of what to do in that time. And that I have even, the perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> but to have that, why why did you make that so important to you? <laughs> it's the it's it,
1: when you fly, and the flight attendant says you put your oxygen mask on first, mm-hmm. so that you can take care of those around you that's exactly what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I've since kind of labeled it that, um, it was just how I was operating at the time. It's like, Mm -hmm. I have to take care of me. Um, because if I don't take care of me, I have nothing left over to take care of anyone else. Mm -hmm. Now we're, we're a couple that uh, we don't have kids and we didn't have a dog at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I feel kind of, blessed that I didn't have some other stressors and some other people to really worry about during that time. And don't get me wrong. It was super intense with just Steve. Um, I had some great neighbors that were taking, helping me take care of the house and everything, but it, it, it took that, um, so that I could think clearly, I had to make some very serious decisions mm-hmm. in that time frame. And, um, I think if I was more emotional about it, um, that, and I hadn't been taking care of myself, I wouldn't have that clear thought process.
0: Right. And I think it's really fair to say, I mean, you acknowledge that, you know, you didn't have kids and you didn't have pets at the time, you still don't have kids, but the dog's here now, um, is that um, we all have things that require our attention, and require um, our love and care. And even, you know, even an individual with their husband, you still had things that need to be taken care of. And oh, with yes. more on your plate, you have more that you need to ask for help with. But the answer remains the same, and that is to look for resources where you can. Those yes. those neighbors that can help you out. Um, you know the the doctors in the community, the 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 financial funding, um, adjunct care, and whether acupuncture, chiropractic, and massage are in your budget or your availability, or if it is. I'm gonna make sure that I eat a well-balanced meal. I won't go skimping on my food resources. There's always, there's always a place to to level up in your care for yourself wherever you are starting. Um yep. and I think particularly this year, we're all learning that if we don't lean on each other, we will fall apart.
1: Yeah. And you know, I did some, I did some simple things as I had a bag of just Activities like you pack a backpack for your kids to have mm-hmm. activities on a trip. I packed a bag for myself. It's like here was my word search book. Here was my you know adult coloring book. Here was my different games and things that mm-hmm. I just to occupy the mind because yeah. I think if I sat there and listened to everything go on in Steve's room, I wasn't always in Steve's room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll and I'll share with that share about that um, in, in a moment, but. When I was in his room, you know, there was a lot of things going on all the time. They were checking on him like every half hour, every hour, 24 um, seven, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it was incredible what they did. And it, and, it, and it gave me a great appreciation for nurses. Doctors are great, yes, but it's the nurses who caught everything that needed the doctor's attention. And, you know, I just had things like
0: that that just occupied my mind. Yeah. You know, well, and you're really—it's that simple medicine of protecting against even cognitive fatigue. We can mm-hmm. only make so many choices and process so much information a day. And when you needed to make such big choices on behalf of your husband, you know, attending to every little thing, you can let go to um, to the professionals in your world, the nurses, and know that you are allowed to take that break and do the adult coloring and the word search. I mean, these are. We don't think of it this way, but they're simple medicines. They really are.
1: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, looking back on it, uh, where I parked in the parking lot and always walked in, I got really good Mm -hmm. exercise since, you know, movement. Mm -hmm. I I amazingly got really good exercise during this time. And I walked the hospital, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I, I could walk the hospital. I had another friend who was in with her husband. I got to make really good friends with another woman whose son was going through the same thing as Steve. And she and I became best friends and best buds during the time at, at the hospital. We're still in touch to this day. And, um, you know, it's just ha- having those support systems. I, was, I would always check in with her as soon as I got there. How's your son doing? Um, she would check in with me, you know. And sometimes she would give me a clue. She's like, yeah, they stopped by again today. You might need to inquire what that was about, you know, and stuff. But after rounds, it's like there was another group of people coming by. So, you know. But so we, we kind of held each other's
0: hand and supported each other through the process. That's so, amazing. Oh, I love that the teamwork can come together in some of the most surprising ways. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and it's funny because I mentioned I, I had gone for massage and a particular Friday night, I purposely um, booked the massage after I was going to be at, at visiting Steve because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to go home and go right to bed. The very next day, one of the doctors said, you look different today. You need to be taking care of yourself. And I said, funny that you mentioned that Mm -hmm. I had massage last night and the medical doctor said, that is good. (laughs) That's a good decision. And you need to keep that up because in the very beginning, I realized we were running a marathon Mm -hmm. and we'd moved inches. Yeah, And the resident um, neurosurgeon at the time, he goes, that's a good mental perspective. So the mindset, he goes, you have a good mindset mentality about what this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And luckily I I had that um, come, come barely, very early and very clearly to me as, you know, take it one step at a time. Um, You know, yes, I will admit there were some panic moments. Mm -hmm. you know, and there were some very, there were some moments of extreme clarity and that things were going to be okay. Um, And I had to, I had to pick up what Steve usually did in the household as well. You know, it's like making sure all of his things were taken care of, plus my things, taking care of his job, plus my job, and then add the medical decisions and the medical care on top.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the the unglamorous work it's you know it's it's you know mostly about the person going through this crisis, but um it doesn't change that there it puts a whole lot more burden on the caretaker and while there are um you know our fabulous nurses and our fabulous caretakers who are trained in doing so, for a lot of us, it really puts us outside of our comfort zone that we don't want to be there. And then you do have that that nurturing aspect and that upbeat attitude. And so leaning into those natural tendencies of yourself is also a real gift. Um, But you know, some some of it it's it's a growth, it's a growth point. Well, and I will
1: acknowledge that there are people that can't handle those Mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I experienced three deaths. There were three people who were in the waiting room with me, um, who lost family members. And, you know, it, it's just like, that hits home pretty quickly. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, shoot, they just lost a loved one. Yeah. And I took on a, a whole different um persona of being empathetic and sympathetic mm-hmm. with caregivers and with families dealing with long term care issues. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we were lucky in the sense that four months Steve had intense care. Um, I certainly can empathize now with families that have loved ones that are years in care and the care will never stop. My friend Rhonda, her, her son's care will never stop. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just, it is what it is that, that Steve recovered so well. Um, and, and managing, managing that, that, you know, there, there are situations where people don't get the opportunity to recover as well as Steve did. Yeah. And I certainly understand that. Yeah.
0: That's a whole nother level of, of, um, adapting to the expectations. Kind of like you were saying just a moment ago about this is a marathon and we're two minutes in, you know, having your expectations, expectations meet what is in front of you the best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not, your optimism wasn't an attempt to spiritually bypass or, you know, have that no. positivity wash. The reality was stark, but you can work mm-hmm. within that reality in a hopeful place. It's a tough tightrope yeah. to walk for sure. Um, and you definitely yeah. had to work it out for you.
1: Well, and I always say, not only was I the loved one, I was the primary care provider and mm-hmm. I was the health advocate.
0: Mm-hmm. I took
1: on you know, additional roles because there was no way Steve was making those decisions. He was in a coma. Even when he, when he started to come out of the coma, um, there were things that happened and it's like, no, that's not true. Steve's telling you stuff that's not true because he was um, in what they call ICU psychosis, uh, hallucinogenic, uh, hallucinating a lot. He didn't know where he was, what was going on. It took him about six weeks to come out of that before uh, through the two rehabs that he went to. And then when he finally came home, in six weeks, he finally understood kind of the magnitude of what had happened and, mm-hmm. um, and was able to realize, you know, what day is it, what year is it, where am I? All mm-hmm. that kind of stuff,
0: you know. Uh, so it was really, I mean, with, with, the, with the coma and the ICU psychosis and all those pieces coming out, I and mean, you really did have um, that three, four month acute intense period. Yeah. Or you're you're carrying all of this year, the health advocate, the loved one, the support, picking up his responsibilities around the home, managing his health care, getting yourself through that with the self-care and your own oxygen mask to the best of your ability. And then finally after that, is there a moment to breathe? Or yes. what
1: next?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know,
1: since we're talking about self-care too, the moment came when I finally told my corporate job,
0: bye-bye. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I
1: finally said, um, it was two years later. Mm-hmm. But when, but I because I had gone through that whole situation, I knew what life and death looked like. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, when it came to them laying off half of the company and them wanting me to do uh, to do other things that I had just taken care of, and I was just kind of at kind of a cruising mode with them. They wanted they wanted me to do more stressful things and I mm-hmm. flat out said no you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think they thought I was like not thinking clearly or something but I'm like no I'm very clear yeah so not only am I not moving the office again because we had just moved it six months prior mm-hmm. um but it's like not only am I not moving the office again but I'm giving you my notice and I think that really because I I had the I mean, I knew this was not life or death. I had my choices at that point, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and it was, it was just time to take myself out of that stressful situation and um, you know, move on with life. Our lifestyle changed dramatically um, for the better. Mm-hmm. You know? um, if, if people met Steve on the street today, he's 90% recovered. You would not know that he's gone through all of this. Um, uh, but there are there are certain things in our lifestyle that changed, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that's just that's just the way it's going to be. That's just the way it is,
0: you know. And I think that that you're speaking a lot to what, it, no one. I want to say this carefully, but because it's not it's not a common conversation. But no one wishes trauma on anyone. It's not. We don't want Steve to go through that. We don't want you to go through it any more than anybody else. But. The fact of matter is, is that life is full of health and illness and trauma and whether it is, um, you know, your health, your finances, uh, global pandemic, for example, Mm -hmm. there are many examples of trauma coming into our life and having the power to teach us something that we didn't know was in us before. Right. And, and it's almost a hidden gift that we don't get to grow without struggle. And there's all of these, you know, great animal analogies about the lobster pushing through its shell and then bursting through. And it all sounds very uncomfortable. And no one wants to invite that discomfort into their lives with good reason. But what comes from that is a better appreciation of what you value, what you understand about yourself and the choices that are in your control. And for you, that choice of work was in your control, and you can make a choice that better matched your value. Where perhaps two, three years prior, it would have been just good enough. It would have been fine. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Um, you know, I, I made the I made the decision to leave my job, and you know, funny things that happen in the universe. Mm-hmm. My I was leaving in June, and. Um, Steve got noticed that his job was changing as well. And, you know, different things that we had done. I had obviously gone through what I call the mental gymnastics. When Steve was in a coma, I'm like, you know, he might not ever be able to drive again. Mm -hmm. um, Our two-story house might be a lot of work for him to go up and down stairs. and, And stuff. And luckily, he went through you know, the physical therapy, the occupational therapy, and Mm -hmm. learned how to maneuver the stairs and, and all of that, that was a decision we made. That's why we subsequently moved to Northern Colorado, because we wanted to move to a single story home. Um, One day, my husband was looking at his laptop. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And he's like, I'm looking at cars, because I think I'm going to sell my truck. And I wasn't surprised at all because it, it was a stick shift. It was five speed. He's like, it's very exhausting for me to drive a stick shift. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I bet it is. So, you know, when he's, he's like, I'm going to sell my truck and buy a different vehicle. I'm like, I, w- I had already kind of been there, done that in my own mind. And then I, I, I think he was surprised that I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we need to do what we need to do. And um, you know, it, it, when you go through such a traumatic situation, and I would even say now that we're in um, the pandemic and it's kind of a lengthened traumatic situation, Mm -hmm. comparing it, you know, to, to our situation um, that you start to make life priority decisions. Mm -hmm. It's like, is your job still fulfilling, you know, your needs is your lifestyle but still fulfilling your needs, even where you live, you know, not just the house, but maybe the neighborhood the you know, all of that. So we, we started making those decisions, um, kind of just kind of in a calm, not a panicked state, you know, um, ironically, my, my brother-in-law said it, uh, it's like, you don't want to go too far. Cause it didn't, if anything ever happens to Steve, again, you're not going to go right back out to the university hospital. And I'm like, yep. I will you know I won't go to another emergency room we're, we're going there and and so it uh it gave us the time to to really kind of observe our situation uh-huh. Steve obviously was extremely um, grateful and uh, appreciative that he made it through uh he he being retired air force I say he, he's been through survival training and everything. And I'm like, you know, that survival training kicked in mm-hmm. for him. You know, he was able to put one step in front of the other and real realize that, um, you know, I've got to take this a moment at a time, uh, you know, a small, small step of progress at a time. And um, it took him, after he came home from rehabs, it took him what I would call um, the better part of a year. From his first surgery to when he could actually get in a vehicle drive nine miles to work work an eight hour day and drive nine miles home and that was the extent of his activity um uh, that's you know it, it took a year you know to be able to go through that
0: yeah the, the recovery is fatiguing and um the long view is that you're holding here it's not just about getting through that acute situation i think the same holds true for this year there have been many acute situations, and then there's sort of the fallout that we have to live through, grow mm-hmm. through, to get to the next crest, to get to the next plateau, and taking yeah. it this one step at a time. Um, you know, it, it, I would hope it, it's a, a way to not um, burn through your resources because you think it's all going—it's going to be over as soon as this, as soon as this. Yeah, it, it, you know—life is, as, as you put it, and as you speak to, absolutely full of detours. Mm-hmm. And
1: if you're, in- it yeah. is full of detours. And you know, you. Uh, I I would say a lot of people. You know, I got mentally tough during our situation. You know, when lockdown came with COVID nineteen and all of that, I'm like, okay, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for for us being in lockdown because the county we live in, they they locked down. There was there was nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, okay, what do we have control over? We can take a walk in the neighborhood.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: can get outside. We can. Um, we were very grateful in the fact that we had just moved in two months prior. We moved in mid January. This happened mid March. Um, two months prior. So we're like, thank goodness, we're you know we're somewhat getting settled, and we have the time to stop and slow down versus, you know, kick it into to gear again and and all of that. And I would say this particular time has given everybody on the planet an opportunity to do that, to stop Mm -hmm. and breathe. Yep. And for the the good, bad, or the indifferent, everybody's had that opportunity to maybe reassess, Mm -hmm. you know, what's important in their life. how they spend time with family and loved ones Mm -hmm. and um, how they approach their career. And, you know, what does life look like, you know, maybe three or five years down the road.
0: Yeah. And I love that as, as the opportunity and as the gift in this and any traumatic experience, um, you know, we all have different things that are in our control or not. And like you said, you didn't have children in, in my experience, I do have a child. And, you know, within my scope of what I have to learn to deal with, there includes a child. And for some people, it includes being an essential worker and needing to work during lockdown. And everyone's story is as unique as them as an individual. But the frame shift and the value and the what can I control and what can I do over a long term, that can be as highly personalized as the life we're living in right now. Um, yes,
1: I I will even say this, just in talking about self-care and everything, mm-hmm. I became an avid journaler mm-hmm. during this time frame. I've always haphazardly written, you know, mm-hmm. what am I grateful for today or whatever, but I, I, I became an avid journaler of what am I grateful for today? What mm-hmm. is going right? Focus, in, focus on what is going right. And I continue that practice to this day. Here mm-hmm. in 2020, I've added another aspect to it. It's like, what am I dreaming of? Mm. So like, what are three to five things that it's like, what, are, what am I dreaming of? How do I want things to be different? Maybe that's just for me, for the planet, for my community, my neighborhood or whatever. Um, but it's like, you know, don't forget to allow yourself to dream. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an opportunity where You have some of that time to really think about those things. Maybe you've forgotten some of the dreams you had 10, 20 years ago. And it's, it's interesting how it's opened up some new avenues for us. And um, it's a simple thing to do. Everybody thinks they need to be a writer in order to Mm -hmm. journal and I'm like bullet point. I bullet point everything. It's like today I'm grateful for one, two, three, you
0: know. (laughs) drop it down there exactly and I think along with everything that's going on this year um, and a lot of the social unrest that is happening and and we are seeing a lot of cracks in our system um, around um, systemic racism and voter suppression and a lot of things that are really topical here as we move into the fall of 2020 um, and so many people are being mobilized within it that is the dream people are daring to dream within yep. a system that could be better and they are being mobilized to it. So again, it's these answers about what what is our value and what drives us in a time of trauma. You know, focusing on the trauma, taking care of the acute things coming down the pipeline. You had things that you had to do to take care of Steve, but you also had things that you had to do to take care of yourself. And right. the conversation that I I'm, I'm so grateful you're having with us today is that those should be considered as non-optional as the healthcare decisions you are making for Steve at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And you know, that's, that's why the title of my book is God Winks and Miracles Mm -hmm. Happen" because I was, I was present enough to observe all of the little miracles that many miracles Mm -hmm. that happened um, that ended up being big miracles. Right. And I think that's what we're going to see with, Pandemic mm-hmm. as well is that there's a lot of little miracles happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of you know social change that's happening. Um, you know environmental change. I was fascinated by when we were in lockdown how
0: the environment, Mother Nature, mm-hmm. recovered quickly. You know oh, things God, like that looked so gorgeous. they reminded me of when I was a little girl looking at the Front Range because they'd been getting kind of cloudy. Um, Oh, they were pristine and, and you know, same thing happening in L.A. I remember seeing pictures of you couldn't even know there were mountains around L.A. And now suddenly there's three ranges deep. I mean, you know, there's there's yeah. good here.
1: Mm-hmm. And those are the things to be grateful for. You know, it's like I'm thankful, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Some days when I when Steve was in the midst of his coma and everything. I mean, I was like thankful uh, there was sunshine today and I had breakfast. And my car got me to the hospital. I mean, literally it was, sometimes it was as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that was multiple days in a row. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm just grateful to be here. And then it's like, when things started turning for us and Steve started coming out of the coma and everything, it's like, okay, then, then, and and it's, it's happening with the pandemic as well. It's like, okay, now you shift into a different mode. Mm -hmm.
0: It's
1: like, okay, now, you know, it's, it's August, it's back to school season for a lot of parents and children. It's like, okay, being able to shift into that mode and figure that out. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how that how that's going to affect.
0: Yeah. And that is already not without its detours. Let me tell you. I know. (laughs) Nobody needs me to tell them that everyone knows. But it is, it's that shift of gratitude and I can speak for myself on this and then I'd be curious kind of as a, a, almost a parting thought here is through all the trauma that I have personally experienced in my life with my own healthcare. um, And then through my family, we have various stories as well. With enough distance, I now say that I am really grateful um, for everything that I experienced, all the trauma of my healing, um, of my illness, um, of things that have happened in my personal life. Because of the perspective, I can say that I would not be um, the doctor and the educator that I am today had those things not happened. Right. Doesn't mean I enjoyed them, right. but I'm grateful for the gifts that they gave me.
1: Well, I would say uh, you and I are probably of like mind where we realize our health is our number one asset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever you've experienced with your health or with the health of a loved one you know, you realize that, you know, you've, you've got to take care of yourself first. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, no career, no family life, no lifestyle happens if you don't take care of your, your health first. And, um, you know, and that can be, you know, I, I always joke that a lot of people think health stops here and it's like, no, it's mental health, you know, it's yeah. from the top of your head to the tip of your
0: toes. It doesn't stop at the, for anyone listening, it doesn't stop at the heart level, like, okay, cardiac health, I got this. Right, you right. Know, it, it keeps going, mind, body, yep. spirit.
1: <laughs> and, and you know, the benefit is, is we can always adjust, Mm-hmm. you yeah. know? When I was younger, I did uh, a lot more strenuous, serious workouts. I don't do that anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not that my, my body wouldn't do it. It's just like I don't enjoy that anymore. It's like, you know, I've shifted, you know, and and, and I think we're going to continue to see that. I think we're going to see that the shifting isn't stopping. Mm-hmm. We're shifting for a while, longer. Mm-hmm. Who knows Who knows when we'll kind of come out on the other end
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and when that will be, and um, but it's like uh, just being just being able to kind of go with the flow and, and take care of take care of yourself, you know. In the meantime, you know things will change. It'll be okay. I've i never thought that this this pandemic wasn't going to make things better, you know. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, we as a global community are going through this
0: to real mm-hmm. to
1: have certain realizations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it gets messy and it gets traumatic when I come out the other side. Yep. Rhonda, thank you so much for sharing your personal story of, of uh, an incredible healthcare journey, but also, you know, your experience with self care and resiliency and and adaptation. I mean, there's just so much that I hope if if anyone can even take a, a small tidbit or lesson from, um, you will all be a little better off. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing about your book, God Winks and Miracles Happen. My pleasure. And, and if our listeners want to learn more about you, where, where can they find your information?
1: So my website is thewealthypeople.com and we spell wealthy W E L L T H Y because it's where health and wealth. <laughs> make a great lifestyle. Um, I'm Rhonda, R-H-O-N-D-A at thewealthypeople.com as well. So people can reach out to me. Um, I I have some great freebies that I'm uh, uh, willing and and happy to share with people so that they can start looking at maybe some of the priorities
0: that they need to take care in their lives. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for that generosity and sharing. And thank you all for joining us today and listening to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I hope there's a little bit of advice you can take away and take into your life. Um, Remember to like and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. We are on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple iPod. Um, Leave us a review if this message reached you. And we'll see you next time for another episode. Be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.